0: All right. Now, I forgot to uh, adjust my mic back after we had a guest speaker last week. So, hopefully, it sounds okay uh, on the recording. Shayla will work some magic here, I'm sure. Uh, Yeah, last week we we had Teen Challenge come in, and I I heard from a number of you uh, just how encouraging uh, it was to hear about their ministry, uh, what they are doing. Oh, dear, that's loud. We're just gonna wait just a second. Uh, yeah, and and so many uh, a couple of emails and phone calls and and texts and different ways for people to just say, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to get involved with Teen Challenge or how can our church get involved? And and so we're gonna have those conversations. And, and I would encourage you uh, to have that uh, conversation in your own home. Uh, Forty dollars a month uh, to sponsor someone for the course of that year. Um, and, and I mean, you, you heard and saw the results, the differences that are made, and so I don't want to uh, spend any more time there other than just to, just to thank Teen Challenge and to thank Dave for coming and sharing his heart with us. This morning, we dive back into First Corinthians. Uh, we started this a, a few weeks ago, so we've done two uh, weeks through this, and we've made it all the way to verse 17. Uh, but the good news is this week we're going to take off a bigger chunk of text. I don't know if that's good or bad news, but it means that we won't, we'll get through this book eventually, is my point. So we're going to look at verses 18 uh, all the way through to chapter 2, verse 5. Um, this is all one kind of flow of thought of what Paul's dealing with. And so as I was breaking it up, uh, uh, I originally just went to the end of chapter 1 and I just thought, you know what, these first five verses in chapter 2. Uh, just fits so much with what we're talking about this morning, so so I uh, decided to put it together. So just a little bit of context uh, for you. Um, I did have somebody ask if I would uh, show that video that we looked at about kind of the overview of 1 Corinthians. Um, But the reason that I showed that to you the first week Uh, is to make you aware of it. It's a free thing. You can go to the Bible Project uh, to look that up or on your Right Now Media account. the, The videos are there as well. And so you can watch that every week uh, before the sermon if you need to. If you don't remember anything about Corinthians, you can pause this right now and you can go and watch that eight-minute video clip. Uh, But I just didn't want to show it over and over again because it just gets longer and longer uh, and I get to preach less and and I I would like to get through the the text that I have. Uh, But so just a real quick snapshot of what's happened so far is Paul is dealing with the arrogance uh, that's happened within the church here in Corinth. Um, there's been some division uh, amongst the followers of Jesus at Corinth, and, and they've, they've sided with whether it's Paul because, you know, Paul planted the church, so he's just this great man. So we were, we were converts under Paul, so we're more important. But then there were others that would say, "No, you know what? We, uh, we were taught by Apollos, and there's no one who can teach like Apollos, and so, so we're more, uh, more important or more significant." And and so there were various things. Who baptized me? They they started to put a list of of importance on that, and and then there were even some that said, "You know what? We we just follow Christ." And and we talked about how actually Paul was was not happy about any of these groups, and even that last one that said, "Well, we follow Christ," is. They were trying to go, you know what, we're superior to you as well. And, and Paul's trying to say, no, 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 stop fighting and stop arguing. Is, uh, and Paul's going to say this later, kind of, who is Paul? Who is, who is Apollos? Uh, all of them, all teachers, all people who baptize, all everything, they're all serving the same God. And so we should be united together in one common good. And so right at the end of our, our text a couple of weeks ago, Paul kind of ma- started this argument of, I didn't come to you to preach uh, with elegance and, and with like fancy words, but I just came to preach Christ so that the, pow- so that, uh, the cross would not be emptied of its power. And that's the thought that we're going to continue here in our text this morning and that we're going to deal with. So l- let's just uh, pray real quick uh, for this, this, these few moments now. God, as Ernie just mentioned to us, is these are your words written to us. These are not just some guy who sat down and wrote a letter, but these are inspired words from you. They're not just for the Corinthian church. They also are so relatable to us, and there's so much truth in there for us to learn and to grasp. And so would you open our minds and our hearts this morning now. Amen. So let me read to you. Uh, from 1 Corinthians, starting in, in chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the, discern, the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debtor of this age? Has not God made foolish so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Chapter 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you among you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power, that you sorry that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So it, it's a bit of a longer section here. And so I, I probably am going to miss something that, that maybe you, as we were reading, you thought, oh, I, would like, I hope he focuses on that, or I would like to ask a question about that. Is it, this is just that reminder, is if I miss something, uh, if I go over a verse uh, too quickly and you have another question or something, I'd love to have those conversations with you. So feel free to get a hold of me in that. But as we start here, you can see a contrast that Paul's talking about between um, the wisdom of men and the wisdom of God. In reality, there's a massive difference, or there should be a massive difference, between how you as a Christian think and act to someone who doesn't know Christ. Is in your business or in your families, the way that you choose to interact and and the, the value systems that you hold high should be different as a Christian. And we'll talk about that more in a few minutes. And also, Paul deals with two different groups of people in this text that we're going to get to in a few minutes as well. The Jews and the Greeks. And and he kind of deals with two different aspects of that. But as we begin here, Paul says this. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Uh, The NIV says the message is of the cross. And and maybe that's a little bit easier uh, to understand what he's trying to say here. But to those who don't know Jesus, the cross doesn't make any sense. Why would would someone who was so great, why would someone who was God, if he claimed to be, why would he die? That doesn't make any sense. And so Paul says, you know what, your message is not going to make sense to many people. They're not going to understand. They're going to look at you and they're going to say, this doesn't even add up. Why would you worship a God who, and and then they'll fill in the blanks with what doesn't make sense to them. And this is a reality that we have to face, but as we're going to find out in the text later, is this actually good news. Because it means all of this is reliant upon God and not upon us. And so this is good news. We could call this uh, backwards thinking or upside-down thinking. Is, is We look at things very, very differently than the world. And so to those who are perishing, they think the cross is foolishness. But, there's a but there. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And we know that power. We've experienced that power. We understand what it means to be saved. And we have now a very different way that we look at the world, a very different understanding um, to our motivations, to what drives us, to why we do the things that we do. And I think too often we get sidetracked and we dichotomize it with, here's my spiritual life on one side, and I'm going to deal with all, uh, all spiritual things through this lens, but then here's the normal world life and my work, and the people that I interact with, and all those things, and I'm, that's different, and and it should not be that way. It simply should be that when Christ comes into you, every part of your life changes. The people that you are friends with, that you work with, all of them over that time should see a change and a difference in you. And again, they won't understand it, and it won't make sense to them at first, you know, I've, I've shared this example before, but it's just a really, really easy example from my life that, that just shows uh, this to be true. Is uh, Shayla and I got married, and then after a couple of years, uh, I, had, I had worked as a youth pastor uh, for seven years in a church in Melfort. And then we were moving on from there, and we were, I was going to go be the senior pastor for the first time of a small church in a small town in Saskatchewan. And, uh, and I remember sitting down with my banker because we had to deal with some of the financial stuff of, you know, when you have to sell a house and move and all these things. And so he asked me some questions, right? And, and his whole motivation behind this uh, was very different. And it was interesting. So he said, you know, so where are you moving? And I told him, we we're moving to this super tiny town, 800 people. And he was kind of like, oh, that's strange. Why would you go to such a small place? Uh, And then he said, so is the job the same? And I said, well, actually, no. Uh, Right now, I'm kind of support staff. I work underneath my senior pastor, but I'm going to a a church where I'm going to be the only pastor. And so he said, well, there's a lot more responsibility for you, right? And I said, well, yeah, it's a a very different thing. Um, And it is a lot more responsibility. And so then he looked at me, and he said, uh, and I assume with a a pretty nice pay raise then, because a lot more responsibility. And I said, well, actually, no. Uh, It's quite a bit less money. And, and, you know, the cost of living in a super small town, it was much less than, than where we were currently living, but, but still, on paper, it was like more responsibility, going to be a much more difficult life uh, for a lot of reasons, and, and then less income, and, and he couldn't grasp that. He said, like, why would you go? That doesn't make any, any sense. You're supposed to move up. This is like, this is like moving down because you're getting more responsibility and, and you get less for it. And I tried to kind of talk to him about, you know, the call of God and, and how this, my decisions were not based on, you know, money or on a position or on a community that we were going to move to. And he just couldn't grasp it. And, and I remember leaving there with just this like, I don't even know how to explain this uh, to him. Or, 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 or I tried and I thought it made sense, but he didn't get it. And and that's the reality of what people will think when they look at this, is they don't understand why we do the things that we do. And and the same is true of the gospel. Why do you act the way that you act? Why do you do the things that you do? You know, you should get even, or you should get that. You should stand up in court for, you know, all these different things. And, And a Christian may respond very differently. Very differently. And sometimes in our own minds, we have to remind ourselves, even though this might seem fair or just to me in this moment, this is how I'm going to respond. Because this is what the Bible teaches me. When the Bible says, turn the other cheek, uh, it says it for a reason. And, And so we read it and we go, whoa, what does that mean? There's so much that looks different. Paul says, that, uh, well, he quotes here, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Right from Isaiah here. Um, he's trying to say, look, God God alone has wisdom. I, I don't have any. And then he, and then he asks, um, actually, just before uh, we read that, let me read to you this quote here. Um, Oh, I got lost in my notes now. I knew this would happen this morning. My apologies. Uh, right, so Paul asked these rhetorical questions. Where is the one who is wise? This is verse 20. Where is the scribe? Where is the debtor of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And then you have this verse that grammatically is very kind of choppy and, and, and it's somewhat difficult to describe. And so I came across... Uh, it explained this way from a commentator named Morris, and he says this, Paul is saying that God, in his wisdom, chose to save people by the way of the cross and by no other way. Acts 4 verse 12 uh, says it very plainly, there, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. only in Jesus. And and Paul's focus in his preaching is only that. And and he's going to explain that now. So in verse 22, he gives the two groups of people, for Jews demand a sign and and Greeks seek wisdom. So let's deal with the Greeks first, just to be out of order. Um, Greeks valued a presentation. Uh, As I was reading through many, many commenters, uh, they all kind of ended the same places. As long as you could deliver what you were delivering, very philosophical and very lofty with great words and a great presentation, essentially the content didn't matter, which I think is a pretty uh, harsh thing to say. Um, But isn't that so often true in our world too? So many people... um, focused on the presentation of rather than the content of what they're presenting. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had people email me and say, you know what, you need to check out this sermon or, or this teacher or this person. And I go and I do that and, and you kind of get gripped and captivated because they're phenomenal speakers and very charismatic and they just have all these qualities and, 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 it's just, and then you get to the end and you realize that there was no actual substance to what they said. So often people rely on their own strength, on their own abilities, on their own wisdom to declare what God has said instead of relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. They miss it. For Paul, the Greeks, he's saying they're looking for this philosophical, very beautiful approach of everything, and so they just miss it because it's just so plain and so simple. Jesus Christ is died on the cross for your sins. And because of that, and because he was raised to life again, you can be forgiven and you can be found with him. And and the Greeks would just argue, well, that doesn't even make sense. Like, why? There should be some other, and they would get very philosophical about it. But then you have the Jews, and the Jews demanded a sign. Why would they demand a sign? Well, it's simply this, and I think this is important for us is that they could not believe that the messiah would die. And so as soon as Jesus died on the cross, he he can't be the messiah. They just it didn't fit their assumption of what the scripture said and of what they thought the messiah would look like. And that's not unique to the early church. That's right right from the beginning of Jesus's own ministry in in John chapter 6, Jesus teaches various things and and then you come across this section of the feeding of the 5000. So uh with, a, you know, a couple little fish and a couple loaves of bread, he feeds 5,000 people. This incredible miracle. And the disciples go around and pick up more leftover than they started with. Much, much more leftover than they started with to begin with. And, and it's just this crazy, amazing miracle. And then just a few verses after that, the crowds have continued to follow Jesus. And they're asking him things. And he says it very plainly. He says that they need to believe in him for eternal life. And so in verse 30 of chapter 6, they say this. Then what sign do you do that we may believe you? What work do you perform? Really? After feeding 5,000 people with virtually no food, and they saw this, and they went, who is this? Man, we gotta, we got to ask more questions, and they follow him. And then he claims to be the Messiah, and then they go, hold on, then what sign are you going to do? He just did it. But their eyes weren't open. They couldn't see it. He didn't fit their assumption of what the Messiah should look like, so he was written off. And they said, no, you got to prove it. In Mark 8, you see the Pharisees come and demand a sign. And, and Jesus is just deeply saddened by this. And Jesus refuses to do another sign because he's done so many. and And he does continue to do miracles over and over and over again. But the point, um, is simple, is that even if I do all these great miracles, that's not going to make you believe. Because you already saw that and you chose to disbelieve. In verse twenty-three, Paul refers to this as a stumbling block to the Jews. Uh, another commentator I read, he he uh, he didn't like the term stumbling block, though he thought it was probably somewhat correct, uh, but he thought just the flow of that verse, it should be way more direct, and he translated it a death trap. That's a pretty serious way to view it, but, but I think he's, he's right in a sense. Is It's not like the Messiah dying on the cross was this little thing that made them stumble and fall and go, oh, this doesn't make sense. Many of them outright just rejected the Messiah cannot be this. And so the cross to them, could be a death trap, and that's so scary to even think. And so, f- for us, w- from the Greek perspective, is is we need to not look for all this great rhetoric, and, and we just have to look at the simple truth of what Scripture says. And then we learn from the Jewish people to not demand the signs, but to realize that all these things have happened, and all these things are true. And so what we think Christianity should be like, or perhaps what we've been taught it's like. If it's not consistent with Scripture, it's wrong, and we need to redefine, relearn who Jesus is, what the gospel is. We need to learn it from Scripture and Scripture alone. And so when you hear something that doesn't add up with what you think Christianity is or who Jesus was, instead of just dismissing it immediately, you need to go to Scripture and to see, is it correct? Some of it will not be correct. Some of it will be a- against what Scripture teaches, and so we can move past that. But some of it may be very insightful and actually really very biblical and godly, and if we're willing to, will change the lens in which we view Christianity and Jesus. So we've got to go to Scripture. Morris again writes this, The sign-seeking Jews were blind to the significance of the greatest sign of all when it was before them. The wisdom-loving Greeks could not discern the most powerful wisdom of all when they were confronted with it. It's, our assumptions are, are very important. And we can try and say, I don't have any assumptions. But we do because our, our how we've been raised, what kind of a church we grew up in, all these things, they have impact on us. And some of it's really good, And some of it maybe has not been the best, and we need to constantly go back to Scripture to see, is it true? Now notice this. In verse 26, Paul says, consider your calling, right? So he's reminding them, you've been called by God. And if you're a Christian this morning, you have been called by God. He says, consider it. How many of you were wise according to worldly standards? Well, not many. How many were powerful? Not not many. How many were of noble birth? Not many. Now it's important to know that he doesn't say none. He doesn't say, if you were wise, then you were out. Or if you were powerful, or if you were a noble birth. He's saying very few of those people come to faith, right? Jesus says, like, it's easier uh, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. He's not saying people who are wealthy can't enter heaven. It's very difficult for them because it's, it can be, materialism can be so ingrained as we can think, the stuff that I have, I need it. And it can become an idol, and it can take the place of God. And so we have to be willing to open it up, or, or open with our hands open, give it to God. And so Paul's saying here, look, look this maybe seems a little backwards, because not many of you are wise, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but he says that, that Christ chose, sorry, let's read it, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Really what Paul's trying to get at here is God's wisdom is far superior and it makes human wisdom look complete foolishness. And I hope you've kind of had that experience where you've realized that. Um, But perhaps you haven't yet. And, And in this way is to just think about it like this. We think we know so much as people. But if you look back on history, there have been some crazy things that people have believed. And then when confronted with what's actually true, uh, I think of, uh, um, who was it? Was it Galileo who was burned alive for claiming the earth was round? I forget, it might be somebody else. Because he said the earth is round, he was killed and now we look back and go, well, this is obvious. In fact, in Genesis 1, you can kind of infer as you read through that, that that's what God's telling us right from the beginning. God's wisdom, and for years and years people thought no, this is what it is and then and then we learn more and so this is why we need to approach everything with humility because we constantly are learning more and the assumptions that we thought we knew ten years ago may not be true anymore and so everything needs to be uh, approached with this humility and when you look at scripture is is God purposefully I think uses very few people who are very wise. Yes, Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, and God used him as king. That's true. But many of the people in Scripture were chosen despite themselves, right? Like Moses, you're going you're gonna to be used by God. And he's, no, no, I can't speak in front of people at all. Like, like I can't do it. And God's like, okay, challenge accepted. I'll deal with this. Gideon is another one that I think of, who's just the least. He says, "I'm the least of the least of the least of the least." I have. No, he was a coward. God used him in incredible ways. The disciples were fishermen. They were they were dropouts of the academic uh, Old Testament system. They they weren't good enough. They were tax collectors. Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament and planted more churches than, um, anyway, he was an opponent of Christ, and he tried to, he, he signed the death letters of people who followed Jesus. You have all these people who are not worthy, and that's the point. None of us are worthy, and in our own wisdom, it doesn't matter. Paul says no human being might boast in the presence of God. None can stand on our own merit. We stand in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Uh, One theologian named Pryor wrote this so beautifully. It's a little bit of a longer quote, but I, I just think it's really, really beautiful. He says this. God's way is to give special position and honor only to his son, Jesus. God has made him to be everything to us. Our wisdom, our righteousness, and sanctification, and our redemption. If a person is looking for those things, he will find them only in Jesus. Depth, status, purity, freedom. They are in Jesus alone through his death on the cross. If God's way is to exalt and glorify Jesus, the wise man will follow God's way. He will humble himself before the crucified Savior, renounce any reliance on worldly assets, and boast of the Lord alone. That is true wisdom. Man, what a powerful quote that is. Paul says at the end, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. This is cited from Jeremiah. But he continues uh, in these first five verses of chapter two. When I came to you, brothers, I did, did sorry, but when I came to you, brothers, did not come to you the test, oh boy, I can't read. Let's do it one more time. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or with wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he's trying to make a point, right? This isn't reliant on me. It's not like Paul, who goes to plant these churches, isn't going, man, this is hinged upon how articulate I am, or how uh, intelligent I can be, or how beautifully I can craft, and like, none of that. He's saying, I just preached Jesus. I preached Him crucified, and then the power of God changed people's lives. He knew it had nothing to do with Him, and that ought to be deeply encouraging to each one of us. Because you, if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you have been called to go and to declare that to the world. But you have not been called to declare it on your own with all your own wisdom and rhetoric and amazing ability to challenge people. You've just been called to go and declare Jesus. That's it. God will be at work. God will be the one using, convicting, and challenging people's hearts. And so it's not dependent on us. And that's great news. We shouldn't be nervous to proclaim Jesus. We should go, man, this is incredible. I'm just going to declare what Christ has done in my life, talk about the cross, and I'm just going to let God do what he's going to do. You don't have to have all the answers. In fact, nobody has all the answers. You will always find another question to be answered or another thing we don't fully understand about God that that cannot be satisfactorily answered. And, And that's good. I say this all the time, but it's good because if you could fully grasp and understand the being that created you, you would never worship that being. But a God that is far beyond us, that we cannot even grasp the slightest realities of, He's revealed himself in scripture to us so that we might know who he is. But until we get to heaven, and I kind of have this idea that I think the reason that we live for eternity with God is because it takes eternity to actually know who God is fully. That's just my own thought. So let me just say it this way again. When you're declaring Jesus to people, just keep it simple. Focus on him. Focus on the cross. Be be okay with saying, I don't know the answer to that question that you have, but let's go to Scripture and maybe we'll see what Scripture has to say about it. The wisdom of God is found in these pages. It's not about me. Paul gave this advice to Titus and to Timothy Uh, a few months back. We we read through or studied through 1 Timothy and Timothy's, uh, sorry, and Paul says to Timothy, you know, don't get caught up in all the genealogies and all those arguments because they don't profit anybody. It's a waste of time. How much do we get? focused on things that don't matter. Morris writes this again. Pardon me, he says, preaching the gospel is not delivering edifying discourses beautifully put together. It is about bearing witness to what God has done in Christ for our salvation. And I realize he says preaching, but you know, That applies to each one of us as we declare Jesus. We weren't called to go with these beautiful discourses, putting it all together. We were called to go and declare what Christ has done in our lives. Now, Paul says he came in weakness and fear and trembling. Now, we aren't exactly sure of his situation, though. If you go to 2 Corinthians and read through that, you, you do see some of what Paul talks about. Uh, but I don't want to speculate on those things just because I don't think they're helpful. But what we do know is that Paul had tremendous hardships physically and mentally. He wasn't this like foolproof church planter that nobody could go against. He was someone that was persecuted and beaten and, um, and spoken uh, falsely against. Uh, he was someone that had great and deep discouragements excuse me, uh, and difficulties that he had to face. And now even in thinking of it in this context, he's got to write a letter to the Corinthians because this church that was, that was planted has now become divisive over conflict. That can't have made him feel encouraged. But Paul's whole point, right, is it, it's not about me, right? My speech, my message, they're not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Uh, me and Lee were talking about this the other day. As if in 10 years from now, we heard that someone that we knew was a pastor or a missionary or an elder or something. Um, and we go, him? Her? No. There's no way they could do it. Like, that's not the person that I knew. They were, they, they were maybe not even a Christian at that point. Or maybe they were very immature in their faith. or like, But we hear this, this should be great news to us. This should be a demonstration of look what God has done in the life of someone. That's the testimony of God. And so when we think of it that way, is if somebody looks at, at me from 20 years ago and goes, man, he's a, he's a pastor now? That doesn't make any sense. That right there should encourage me more, far more, than if he went, yeah, that guy, he was always so articulate and good with words. I always knew, like, that that should actually discourage me. Because then it's about me and my abilities." The truth of the matter is people are looking at it and going, wow, look. Look at what God has done in the life of that person. Couldn't believe that. That would be wonderful. Wilson uh, finishes with this. He says, a faith that depends upon clever reasoning may be demolished by by a more acute argument. But faith, which is produced by the power of God, can never be overthrown. What a statement that is if we realize this is not about me and my ability to defend every aspect of this, but it's just about the power of God, the change that he is doing in my life and in the lives of the Christians around, then when we're confronted with some, what about this? Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't fully know how to explain that. and Maybe I don't even fully know how to think about some of those things. But I still know God's real because look what he's doing my life and the lives of believers around him in the life of our church. This is what Paul's trying to get across, and this is what what we need to get across to us, especially in this time, right? Like, there's there's Ernie here, and then there's you at home, right? Like, we don't have the connection in the community that we have had for the rest of our lives or for the previous parts of our lives. Now it's a lot more different. It's, It's a lot more difficult. And so we need to be reminded of this isn't dependent on us. Like Ernie mentioned er, this morning, is God's got this. He all of these things are part of his plan that he is at work using and redeeming for his good. And so, yes, this is hard right now, and we're going through difficulties, and many are going through, you know, financial challenges and, and physical challenges, and many of us going through mental challenges. Just yesterday, me and Shay were chatting, and she was just like, I just miss having someone in our home. You know, eating a meal together, playing a game with having conversation. with. Yeah, we miss it. It's hard. But we can still do ministry. We can still reach out to people because this isn't dependent on us doing this a certain way. It's dependent on God. So let me close uh, by saying this really, really practically. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are called to bear witness about this Jesus. You aren't expected to convince people through your brilliant rhetoric that Jesus is who he said he was. You are simply to declare Jesus' death and resurrection and allow the power of the Holy Spirit to change people. What could be better? Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these reminders that it's not about us. It's about you. And so God, as we consider how we're going to act, what we're going to say, the motivations behind why we do what we do, may all of this be from your wisdom. May it all be because of Jesus and what he has done for us. And yes, people will look at that and be confused and not really understand our motivation, but may we be able to use that to show exactly this this is why we do what we do, because of God's love for us. And this love doesn't even make sense sometimes. Why would he bother to love me? But he does. And so I pray that we would understand that, that we would take that to heart. The creator of the universe loves us desperately and wants us to be united together as a community of faith and a community of believers who will declare to the world the truth of what Jesus is doing in our lives. God, as we go on with our week would you give us opportunities to declare this message of Jesus? Would you give us the courage to say the right thing at the right time to the right person? And would we trust in your power to do it, not our own? God, we love you. Amen. Thank you for joining us uh, this morning. And we will look forward to seeing you again next week. Um, Our board meeting was uh, postponed. uh, So it's actually happening this week. So we appreciate your prayers. Uh, for that and then watch your emails and your social media and we'll we'll let you know with what changes are happening have a wonderful week and we'll see you again soon